Hey guys, welcome to episode 21 of Grad Life. We're very lucky to have with us today Finn Murphy, who is a serial entrepreneur and also a very vain person checking out his hair yeah, in the mirror. It's, it's got to be done. I'm not looking the best, it's got to be said. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm very, uh, very happy to be here. Well, we've got lots to talk about. Um, mm. I think you've got a lot of knowledge to impart um, to me and to the audience as well. So. Um, Let's get into it. So you did best in Trinity? No, no, no. So this is uh, this would be probably a reasonably common misconception. I did. I actually did mechanical engineering. So yeah, I yeah. yeah this, uh, did you actually not know that? No, I genuinely thought you did best. Right, interesting. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I spent a lot of my time in college hanging out with uh, the best crew and the law crew, not because well, actually, no, I, in first year I decided I didn't like engineering. And then just started hanging out with all those people. And then it took me about a year to realize that I did, that I actually came around to being like, I wanted to do engineering and then got into it. It was really hard. And all my mates in law and best were having the best time ever. Right. And I was just like, this is absolutely rubbish. Like I have to, I'm working three times as hard and I'm not doing that well. And this is just not what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. But then I kind of, I balanced it. I, I basically came to a balance of, I tried to have the social life of a best and a law student right. while doing an engineering degree, yeah. which culminated in having like a reasonably adverse effect on my grades for a while. Oh, well, but having the social life of a best student is hard work in itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, I, think, I, think, I think it's tough enough going. But yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I kind of went through Trinity and it was only really in third year that I, so we, in engineering in Trinity is structured, you go into general engineering in first year and you do everything, you do biomedical, computer, electronic, mechanical, civil, and like you do a little bit of everything and it feels like a really good idea. I think it is a really good idea, but it also means that if you know early on where you're leaning towards, you just go, oh my God, I have to go to that environmental science yeah, yeah. elective. Oh, I have to go to that circuit. I have to go to that signals and systems elective. Yeah. Like, I know I'm not going, this is not what I'm going to be doing. And I think at the time when I just started out in college, you don't realize, you're not thinking, like, obviously, that when you're a grad, having a basic understanding of hardware and electronics is really useful because you're like, this is a complete waste of time. Why do I have to learn this stuff? Yeah. And it takes a long time to come full circle and realize that that's actually valuable. But it wasn't until I got to third year when I got to specialize that I was able to look back on the kind of two years of really like pretty like second year. We did a lot. So you're like one day, like even in the course of a single day, you're like learning how to mix cement. I'm not joking. Like you actually learn how to mix cement in the morning. Then you go in, write a bunch of code in the afternoon. That's crazy. And then like basically learn about how the knee works in biomechanics at the end of the day. And this whole thing, like it's such a disjointed yeah. modes of learning that you it's it's hard at the time to get your head around it. Yeah. And then when you specialize, you suddenly get into it. It's like, okay, this is more of a rhythm. Everything that I'm doing is contributing to the same goal. Like mm. I feel like things are tied together. And it was then when I realized I was like, okay, no, the reason I chose engineering was to get this, not so much to learn things but to learn the how, way of thinking learn how to think about things yeah and it's mm -hmm. like i've worked with engineers particularly in the finance sector mm -hmm. and they do have a very particular way of thinking that is a huge 
mm. benefit. Um, but still, you were you were kind of feeling more like business was going to be your. Oh uh, yeah, I well, this was like this is like I think I, I've said this to someone before where I didn't know what I was going to do, and this I had like no idea when I was filling out the CAO. So I said, I was like, okay, you could go and do you want to be a lawyer? Maybe do you want to be an economist? Like, do you want to be a business person? Like, what what's a business person yeah. like doing? Bet. like I don't think anyone goes into bets being like I'm going to be a business person but then I was like or I could do engineering and the way I kind of whittled it down was I said if I want to be a lawyer I should do law if I want to be a businessman should I like should I do bets and I was like well if I do engineering I could probably still be a lawyer I could probably still go into business but and I could also be an engineer if that yeah. turns out to be what I want to do. And like I could be wrong on this, but my kind of view was if I do law, I'm very unlikely to ever end up as an engineer. And if I do best, I'm no, yeah. like, very unlikely to go the other way. And at, the, at that point in time, I didn't want to start, like whether those doors exist or not, but I didn't want to start closing doors on myself before I even got to college. And there um, is your example of how an engineer thinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, it's completely, it's completely insane to think about things that way. I don't recommend it. But like, <laughs> if that's if you don't know what you want to do, optimizing your choice to leave as many options yeah. open is something I try to do a lot of the time. And sometimes it's actually really detrimental to what you're doing because you end up not being able to make decisions. Yeah. But if you're, I think as you're going through college, you can afford. To, you can afford to have things like you, your decisions aren't life and death. Yeah, exactly. And you can afford to kind of give yourself a little bit more leeway. Yeah. And I want to leave as many things open for as long as possible here, because generally the only person who that's a detriment to is yourself. Versus when you're out in the working world, if you're working in a team situation, you delaying decisions and leaving doors open yeah. can actually be really negative on other people. Yeah, as totally. well. Mm. Um, so your first business was ideally. Mm. Can you? Oh, well, this is another really bizarre thing. We actually—that was my second business. So yeah, I—I I really I should have given you more of a heads up on the research what? notes. So I'm really I'm hanging Mark out to dry here. Totally. But we uh, yeah I was I was in well so basically during before I would have been in third year in college, and Web Summit was in Dublin, and I did uh, I basically helped out. I kind of like volunteered, helped out a friend who was working there. I did a few of the pub crawls and like I like basically brought a group of tech people around Dublin, went to all the talks, and I was just like, this is what I no swearing, yeah, yeah. I, this is exactly what I want to do. Like these people are really interesting, what they're talking about is so cool. Like I remember going to a talk by like Barack Obama's 2008 director of digital strategy, and just the way they talked about things and ideas, and that like you with small changes to pieces of technology you can affect how hundreds of millions of people behave and think and you can change outcomes of world events yeah i was like this is the place like technology is the place to be and at the same time i was like first time out i was like i'm gonna do a social media app and during the summer in the states i was like oh it's really annoying when you're in the library and you want to go get a coffee or you want to go for you're on campus and you want to go for lunch and you like don't want to message around the WhatsApp groups being like, is anyone free for lunch? So we were, I was like, let's build this platform where you tap what you're going to do. You tap that you're doing it now and you send a push notification to all your friends being like, 
I'm getting coffee in 15 minutes in insomnia, who's joining me? And people could just say yes, no on the push notification. And like, you'd be there and you'd go to insomnia and it'd be like, oh, three people out of all your friends were like, yeah, I'm studying, I'll go. Yeah. It was a really particular use case. And we did that, we built a beta product and like put together a team and I knew nothing about startups. Like, yeah, I, it's a good idea though. Yeah, go was, on. Yeah, it was funny. Like we, we tried and like starting a social media business is like the opportunity for it to get right is on like, obviously there's like the Facebooks, the Twitters, the Instagrams, yeah. but even the Snapchats, but the distribution channels and your likelihood of having that kind of success are like, you know, there's also like, there's a lot of social networks that did really well and still failed. So like, Dig, Flickr, like Friendster, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there where you can even do well and you can collapse. Mm. And it's probably the most common trajectory. Yeah, it's like we ended up, uh, went through like Irish Student Entrepreneurship Forum, like had team members come, team members go, like put together, had like a designer, computer engineer, launched a beta product. It did not work very well at all. But I got kind of my first taste of like, this is what it's like to try to build a product. Yeah. And I never actually even looked at building. I never even touched building a business like this. I wouldn't even, as I wouldn't call it my first business. It was like my first project. Product based project. Yeah. And like a product, like where you have to assemble a team of people with a certain skill set. You have to address a problem, find a market, and build a product that can do that in an effective way and figure out a way to market that product and eventually generate revenues from that product. Yeah. Um, and that was really interesting. And I actually, I was basically doing that until I went on and this is actually good lead into, uh, I, me and my co-founder were going to give it hell for leather and go for it. And then I like, and things were not going that well. Like the product didn't work that well. Like people were like, Oh, it's good. But like, you know, WhatsApp groups are fine. Like, you know, it wasn't 10 times better than the WhatsApp group. Yeah. It was, it was like a bit better and that's just not good enough in that kind of consumer orientated world. Mm. So I got offered, uh, I got an option to go on the Washington Ireland program and my co-founder was like, are we going to do this full time for the summer or what are we going to do? And I, again, kind of weighed up the options and I was just like, look, I don't think this is going to go somewhere. It's kind of painful, but let's put this, let's kill this now and take what we've learned from it. And like, nobody's lost nobody's lost money nobody's like burned relationships we've all just kind of learned something yeah. let's take it from there couple of questions there cool. what age were you at this point uh i would have been 20 when i started it and no i, no, I would have been 21 when i started it okay so we would have finished it up when i was like about a year and a half later okay was it hard to kill it were you emotionally attached to it or was it just this product that you were interested in on an intellectual level um I, it wasn't hard to kill it by the time we killed it. Right. I, uh, when I really wanted it to work, I really wanted it to work, but I just knew there were so many things that I wanted. It's like, there's so many things that I wanted to do that weren't it. Yeah. And that eventually crept into it. Like, and I think that's like, I've kind of learned since is if you're pursuing a business it or a, pro- or a product or anything like that it has to be the only thing you want to do like not that you shouldn't have any life other than that sure but like if you want to be you know 
if you want to get a good degree, you want to have a good social mm-hmm. life, like, you know, it's like the three S's, like school, study and sports, like you can only pick two. Yeah. It's like when you're pursuing a business and you're pursuing a product like that, there is someone else. It doesn't matter how unique you think your idea is. There is someone out there doing the same thing. Yeah. And unless you're working harder than them and you're more committed than them, they will win eventually. Yeah. And if they're in a better geography or a better location in an area where they're more inclined to get lucky breaks, then you have to work even harder than that. Sure. And I just knew at the time, I was like, I, when I got to Washington Oregon program, I was like, I definitely want to do this. I definitely want to get a good degree. So like, if we start doing really well, if this app starts doing really well, that's great. But I'm also... Like, you know, if it starts doing really well, I'm definitely going to have to drop out of college. Yeah, but it hadn't shown you a reason to prioritize at that point. That makes sense. Exactly, yeah. So you went then into the Washington Island program, which Mm. Jack Cantlin did as well. I still don't have a good understanding of what it actually entails, but I just know that it's just an amazing opportunity. Yeah, so WIP is, uh, like, WIP is transformational in so many ways when you go on it. Like, it's an internship, but the whole program is... Like, it's not just the intern, like, people kind of look at it and say, it's a weekend, it's, like, weeks in Capitol Hill, like, you're an intern for a senator, you're an intern for a congressman, you're working for a U.S. government department, like, there's a lot of, that's, like, the kind of front front of what it is, right? and it's, that's really great, but there's also, like, I just didn't know enough about North-South relations, like, you know, we kind of think of the North as, like, it's the North, like, yeah. you know a few people from Belfast in college, you maybe have some family from up there, but it's never front of mind, and you forget so often that, like, the, that conflict and that, like, the kind of problems that are still, like, a lot of the kind of tensions in the North are still there. Yeah. And, like, we're well past, like, we're well past where it was mm. 20 years ago, but I think in the South, it's very easy to forget just how far we've come sure and getting to meet people like you know it's kind of the way in ireland where you know it's hard to do anything with people your age where you don't immediately like there's someone there who you know or someone there who you've met before yeah and i arrived on day one of our orientation on whip and i didn't know anyone really i'd never met a single person in the class like even within trinity there were two other people within trinity and I'd never, I'd never heard of them. I'd never met them. We'd never even kind of tangentially bumped into each other. Yeah. And I thought that as a, it's like, you know, it's often very easy inside your college bubble to think, you know, what's going on, you know, mm. everyone you like, whatever, you know, all the movers and shakers, but you go and you meet such a diverse group of people with a diverse group of opinions and you're thrown in this setting of Washington DC for a summer and you're in these hyper-competitive environments where there's something cool happening all the time, and you can you're there. You get eight weeks there, and for eight weeks you're a Washington Ireland program student, so you can like ask anyone for coffee. You get to meet the coolest speakers. You get to go to the coolest things, but like you have to take advantage of that eight weeks while you're there. Yeah. But often one of the things you kind of while you're out there you realize is like the best part of it is the other people in your class. And that these people are like just other Irish students who you've never had a chance to meet before. But they're all likely to be very impressive young people, and it's it's impre- it's they're impressive, but they're also diverse. Right. Like, it's a complete like 
Like it's just such a range of people that you often don't get like, you just often don't get to meet that kind of range of people in whatever bubble you're in. It's like, no matter how hard people try to put themselves out there and try to meet people from outside their immediate friend group, mm. it's, it's just harder than it's harder than people think it is yeah. to try to give yourself a diversity of opinions and a diversity of background. Absolutely, yeah, and it's a very important thing to do at, at that age as well, mm-hmm. at that formative age in in college. Yeah, for sure, because it, it's very easy to, to pull out certain like to be like my opinion. This is why I have this opinion, and this is why my opinion is yeah. right. Without actually, like, if you've got thirty people in a room, everyone has a different opinion, and everyone's opinion is informed by a different background, a different story, that kind of, that gets you thinking, and it gets you thinking about why you have the opinions that you do. And I think that's like one of the most important things you can do is like, not to be self-centered, but to think about why you think the way you do. Because if you can understand yourself and you can understand why you make the decisions that you do and why you have those opinions, it's so much easier to like nobody does that mm. and you can just get so much more out of you can get you can i think you can enjoy yourself a lot more because you know the reason you're doing the things that you do it's yeah. not just going through the motions you're just like i know part of the grad life philosophy is thinking about it's like why am i doing this job like i think if people don't young people don't necessarily ask themselves that enough yeah where like you either have a knee-jerk reaction to something, you say, I'm doing this because of this, but if you think and go a layer deeper, it's like, why am I really doing this? Why am I really taking this job? And like, if you don't have a really good answer to that yourself, then that's, you know, it's all about that kind of self-exploration and understanding why you do the things that you do and why you make the decisions that you do. And as you go through that process, you just get better at making decisions and better at sure. putting yourself on the right trajectory. You're very right in saying that that's a large part of what grad life is about, mm-hmm. because I'm a huge believer that if people peel back a couple of layers, mm-hmm. they'll start to notice maybe one or two things that are driving almost all of their decisions mm-hmm. or completely unrelated decisions on the outside could be much, it could basically driven by the exact same thing if they manage, if they take the time and effort to look back and peel back those layers. Oh yeah, it's exactly, I'm like, it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter how hard you work, if you're working on the wrong thing, this actually, I'm stealing a quote from one of the, the Y Combinator presidents, the kind of startup accelerator in San yeah. Francisco, and he's like, the problem with most, like, not the problem with most people, but most people's, you know, most people's problem is that they expend all of their energy working on the wrong thing, and in reality, that's like, you know, you're, it's not that you may as well have not done anything in the first place, but a small amount of energy expended in the right direction is much more effective, like positive for you personally, long-term and professionally long-term mm. than a huge amount of effort expended in the wrong, like totally. the wrong place. So and, Paul Graham. Yeah, Paul yeah, Graham, right. and, and exactly. And these things... Like and it's hard unless you really think about why you make the decisions that you're making. I think it's really hard to it's 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 um, let me think about this. I'm saying the right way. It's very hard to realize if you're expending your energy on the right thing. Yeah. So like you re- if you know so like if you know why you took a job, then you know this is where I should be expending all my energy. Mm-hmm. While if you know this is probably not the right job for me. 
you can split your energy between something you should be working on and something you need to work on right now. Yeah. But expending more energy on the wrong thing is what a lot of people do when they think things aren't going in the right direction. Yeah, very true. And I've done that myself as well, where I pour energy into the wrong things. Yeah. And then you realize, it's like, what was I doing there? What a waste of what investment. A, it is what a waste of investment. And there's an opportunity cost to not taking a step back yeah. and thinking about it and making those kind of right decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Very good point. So uh, the WIP, the Washington Island Program, who can apply for it? Uh, oh, yeah. So anyone, uh, if you've got an Irish passport uh, or UK passport living in the north, anyone can apply for it. The class for 2018 has been chosen. Applications normally go live around October, September time. And do you need um, to be in college? Is there an age bracket? You need to be doing, you need to be like in your studies. Okay. So that can be a master's, that can be a PhD, that can be an undergrad. Um, it's like if, if, if you you don't necessarily a lot of people get tied up on thinking you have to be interested in politics to do it like i was studying i would have assumed that yeah, yeah. i i was studying mechanical engineering and i ended up working for a democratic senator like writing like letters to constituents about like of course we're making the best efforts to resolve the crisis in nepal during the earthquakes yeah. there like you know it's you you get a diversity they won't you're not pigeonholed and it's not just about one part it's not just about one type of person sure it's about reflecting that diversity of like beliefs opinions backgrounds yeah and also ambitions and professional directions so like you'll it's a it's a and often like this is i'll put down the one trick i will say is a lot of these things are screened by essays and they're screened by interviews and often people from certain degrees are just better at writing and they're better at expressing themselves. Sure. But that doesn't mean someone can't, you know, when you're looking for a diversity of people, you also look for a diversity of expression and an engineer or a doctor or a biologist can write just as powerful a personal essay as a lawyer yeah. or an English student. But I would always say, find an English student or a lawyer to read over what you've written. Right. And don't get them, don't let them rewrite it, but let them pick the structure. Like the content is you, the tone is you, the context is you, but often like just simple things like structure, like this sentence here, this paragraph here, like, you know, you can tell a better, it's the storytelling piece that I think people from technical degrees are less likely to get sure. right. And it's all about telling a story of like, why are you the right person for the Washington Island program? And yeah. that's like, if you're going through that application process, it's thinking about that is what's my story and how is that interesting? Yeah. And how is that unique? And how can that add something to this diversity of people that go on the Washington Island program? There's a very good tip in that to, if you're applying for anything, jobs or a program, whatever it is, the reason you might think you wouldn't get it, the reason if you're, say, studying marine biology and you think, oh, it's only lawyers and business students that get that program, the fact that you're a marine biologist isn't your disadvantage, it's your advantage because any well-put-together team requires diversity. And if you offer that as well as, say, a well-put-together letter or application, whatever it might be, then that would actually be your advantage rather than your disadvantage. Oh, 100%. If something... There's... A you have to have something on your 
like whether it's a CB cover letter, there's always got to be something that is different to everyone yeah, else. Yeah, sure. A USB, same as any business. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's exactly that way. And figuring out what that is. And if you're, or like, if you can't, and like, it's absolutely fine if you can't think of anything, like, mm. often, and but, it, but I think the problem is a lot of people do have something that's really interesting about themselves. It's really unique and different, but they don't think it's impressive enough yeah. to like, you know, something like an example of someone who is a, has been a carer for their granny for years and like goes after, goes after college, takes care of her, like basically, you know, it's those kind of things don't feel impressive mm. because they're not... They're not glamorous. They're not, I built the school in the pile, none of that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah, but, like, that shows so much more about you as a person yeah. and something unique that tells a lot more than if you went and built a school in the pile. Yeah. Like, it's just... That's brilliant. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's think about the things that tell a story about the type of person you are, not, like, the awards that yeah. tick boxes. Brilliant. I love that. Definitely take that one with you. Uh, key takeaway from the whip quickly. Uh, key takeaway from whip. Um, you are. Um, let me think about this. American ambition is just. It's a different. You, I you, you think people are ambitious in Ireland, and then you meet ambitious Americans, and you just go, "Oh my god!" Like you people were like, you're in Washington, you're there. It's like people say. Well, yeah, no, I, I think, you know, one day I would like to be president. And they don't say it in a facetious way. Like yeah. how Irish people would be like, oh, you'd be Taoiseach one day, you know, you're going to the old party rallies now. While, like, these people are like... They're just like, yeah. Yeah, this is what I want to do. And, like, it doesn't come across as... There's a way of doing it. There's a way of, like, having that ambition where you're getting shit done. Yeah. And that's the kind of... There's a lot of people who bloviate and talk about how look at how great I am, this is what I'm doing, like, all the time, and try to put themselves out there, and then there's the people who have that, like, just, you see it behind their eyes, and Americans, just for whatever it is about the scale of the country, and the scale of the opportunity, and these kind of things that are going on, they have this, certain people have this ambition behind their eyes, where you're like, you will not stop until you, tr like, you're trying to get to the top, you're probably not going to get there, but you're going to land pretty close. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that you kind of take away is the further, the higher you aim, like the closer you're going to get to where you want to be. Yeah. The Australians have a term called tall poppy syndrome. Okay. Uh, I, don't know if they, I don't even know if it's a non bizarrely. Um, if a poppy grows too tall, they cut the top off it so that it becomes the same size as any other poppy. Uh, Do you think Ireland suffers from that? Um, I, I think people are... It's the self-deprecating nature yeah, of it. Yeah, I think that's it's, actually behind it. Yeah, it's like people just say, it's like, oh, no, I'm doing grand. I'm doing grand, like, but sure, you know, I'm fairly shy. Like, across, like, this isn't good. It's it's almost I, a desire to be among the other poppies yeah. rather than a desire to... Rather than a desire to shoot above. Yeah. And it's, like, it can be good. Like, you, the last thing you want to do is present yourself as something you're not. Yeah. But I think presenting yourself, presenting who you want to be and having that as something that's like you're aspiring to is different to presenting yourself as that person. Yeah, exactly. Let's differentiate there. Let's differentiate the difference between presenting yourself as something you're not, just mm -hmm. not, 
and something is and presenting yourself as what you could be mm. and your potential. And there's nothing wrong with presenting your potential. Mm. Maybe just not some kind of false version of. Yeah, and, that, and that's I think when you're when you're talking to when you're trying to build a, say like a network of mentors or you're trying to you're trying to impress someone in your job that you're like I really want to I really want to get coffee with that partner. I really want to like the thing that kind of shows out is like you have to work hard, you have to deliver results, but also the desire to be better is like people want to hitch their horses, people want to hitch their carts to the fastest horse. Yeah. And they'll look and you can just see in the way people walk and the way people talk and the way people present themselves and the way people engage with other people in the workplace is you go, it's like this person wants to be that they want to be better sure. than what the path than the path we have them on. Yeah. And those are always the people you want to get coffee with and you want to back and mm. you want to have those conversations with because you're like, where are you? I don't know where you're going to end up. But I'm interested to I'm interested to watch the journey. Yeah, sure. And that's you know it's just it's really important to have be aspirational to where you can be. Yeah. And it's often like it, I think it's hard to get you get like down the dump. People get down the dump sometimes when you're in like shy job or you're just like oh, this is me for like you know you start a job and you're like this is me for the next four years and then you just settle into like this is me and you forget that like there is just so much more that you can do yeah. and that you can get out of life and you can get out of any working situation. And like, you don't have to put yourself in through 18 hour days. Like I'm not talking about this is like going back to our last point about expanding your energy on the mm. right things is like expanding, thinking about what you want and what you want to do. And then expanding that energy on those things to get you to where you want to be yeah. is that's like a kind of philosophy that I think is really valuable, particularly when you're in the early sure. stages of your career. Yeah, this is reminding me of a video that I was sent the other day, and I watched it only yesterday, I think. And there was it told there was this guy talking about this uh, idea called the I think it's called the end of history fallacy, and it is this: hmm. you're I'm 26, and I think now that oh, all my life up to this point has led me. Uh, here this is why it was all meant to happen that way and that is it, it's kind of me buying into the fallacy that this is the end of history this is the end point that everything else led to mm. no i'm just a work in progress and oh. my if i have a 95 year old my friend's 95 year old granddad died the other day he was a work in progress mm. and the granddad not the friend <laughs> and i was a work in progress when i was 14 i will be when i'm 35 45 mm. 95 and we are constantly a work in progress. So to never buy into this end of history fallacy saying, oh, well, that's it. I've done it all. Mm. You know, I've, I've led myself to here. This is where I'm going to end up. Not the case. No. You can always evolve. You're always a work in progress. And it's up to you where you're going to go next. Yeah. And I think that's, that view of the world is, is hard to get to sometimes when you think it's like, I finished college. Did I learn anything in college? Oh. Maybe I, didn't, <laughs> maybe I didn't learn anything in college and it's you know it's, it's if you treat yourself as a work in progress you you feel like you've never actually learned anything yeah because you're like I'm always trying to absorb stuff and I'm always trying to do things and I'm always changing while it's sometimes easier I think to think of yourself as this is how I got to now mm. because I am I am a mechanical engineering student from Trinity 
who works in with technology companies and this is like this is who i am this is what i'm going to be and like getting to that kind of end of history like am i a work in progress you have to kind of acknowledge that everything you've done up to now is just like nothing is complete it's all just pieces that you're slotting together and that's like just you know a bit like oh my god i put myself through four years of that degree and i'm still like a work in progress it's like when do i get to the point when i'm i know when do i get to the point when i get get to flatten off and i think this is like like jeff jeff bezos has this kind of interesting thing with the amazon he writes an annual letter to amazon shareholders and he talks about it always being day one at amazon and like amazon they work people like they mm-hmm. work people really hard and they do not pay people that well. Mm. So like there's a lot of things you there's a lot of things that Amazon don't necessarily get right, but there's a whole bunch of stuff they get right. Yeah. And one of those things that they get right is every single day is day one at Amazon. So like you come into work and it is like this is the first day the company has been formed. That's the attitude. And, everyone has that attitude yeah where it's like what would you do if it was day one in the company and you come in and it's like people ask like, what happens on day two and it's like on day two we die and that's it like you have this i attitude. remember reading that before yeah right? you have this attitude of like and it's like but it's not swearing it's like really tiring because yeah. like you're just like if every day is day one it's like what would i do today if tomorrow what would i do today if i'm like tomorrow i start to die yeah and it's having that attitude and having that like just endless relentless relentlessness that makes you the it makes him the richest person on the planet and like you don't have to do that like we don't like being the richest person on the planet is not necessarily something anyone should aspire towards yeah but having thinking about that attitude and like pulling together different pieces of knowledge and different attitudes and forming them into something that you own yourself and something that can kind of guide you is like every day is not day one for me yeah like some days i just want to watch like garbage on netflix but that's okay because i've thought about what do i what is day one what's day two because when I really want to work and I really want to get shit done, I'm like, this is, yeah, like, you know, you hook in, yeah. this is it. This is what I want to go after. Mm. And maybe I will find something that I go in and like, I want every day to be day one. Yes. Yeah. I'm day two, I'm dead. Well, the thing but, is, Amazon as a business mm. and as an inanimate organism, it, that day one thing works. But when you are an animate organism and a person mm. who has a life and emotions, etc., treating yourself as a cold business with this day one relentless drive could be unhealthy and, and mm. cause an imbalanced life could absolutely cause burnout could cause horrible mental health oh yeah so you do have to you know you have to take the shoes off and put on netflix or whatever it is every now and then and but balance you, out but you can you also and like the whole idea of like the inanimate corporate object is you can take those lessons that drive businesses to be really successful and apply them to yourself you can. and what you're doing and also when you go into businesses or you go into, like if you look at a business and you just say, it's like everything here is wrong. Every day is keeping things taken over. Like think about how you would do it differently. Yeah. Think about like, it doesn't matter if you're in KPMG, it doesn't matter if you're in like a five person, you know, five person accounting shop somewhere around the country. Like think about the things you would do differently. Yeah. And you don't have to like 
of course, like all the partners are going to ignore you in those big places. So keep a note on it and be like, this is how I would, this is how I think about the world. This is how I think about the world and how I apply it to the things that I do. Yeah. Because that's so important. Interesting and, idea. Analyze how your outlook evolves. Hmm. You know, oh. say if you go in day one, I hate to say that again, hmm. but day one, write down how you're looking at a certain thing or life, whatever it might be, and then three years down the line, go back and look and compare it to where you're at and just see how you're kind of, what direction you're moving in. Oh, God, yeah. Like, that, that um if you're not doing that and you're not thinking about how you're changing your view like your views on the world and how you're changing the way you think of it like the world is it's like so contrite to say it. it's like everything is always changing yeah like faster than you know it faster than i know it like it's if you're not adapting your viewpoint and you're not consuming information at a reasonable pace you will just turn around one day and be like you know, everyone kind of looks at the iPhone. It's like, oh, WhatsApp, what a simple idea. Facebook, what a simple idea. And like, that was, we all remember when the iPhone came out. Like everyone, like our generation, if you're 25, you remember distinctly when the iPhone came out. You probably even had, like, you probably even had an iPhone mm. when the App Store was getting going. Like all of these things happened. Like people made, people made like tens and hundreds of thousands of euro just like basically just like building apps that you press one button and says you're rich and like that's all they did like they just press one button and it was like you're rich and the app was ten thousand euro and you go around and say look at how rich i am what? oh yeah it's like completely insane it's crazy you know things like the world of um like web domains like there's a guy who sold super.com for 1.2 million dollars he just was basically like oh it's cool i'm gonna get that name like people who invested in bitcoin and ethereum early and like that whole world is like dark and murky, but that was happening. Like, you know, that's been happening for years now mm. and you have to pay attention to the thing. You don't have to pay attention to everything, but like think like, and this is like maybe because I'm not the biggest sports fan in the world, but like think about the world, the way you would think about premiership football where like, I find it mad that I have friends who know every single player. They know like all the goal scoring, like our sports friends who know yeah, every yeah. single aspect of every detail of sport. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting. And like, just, and like, obviously, if you're into sport, you're into sport. If you're into technology, you're into technology. But try to apply some of that rigor and analysis to just the way the world is changing. Sure. And I guarantee the way you think about it, like, you might realize I had a conversation with someone who works for one of the big, like big accountancy audit firms. And he was telling me about how their entire audit department will not exist in 10 years. So sorry, accountants. Jeez, that's like, a huge claim. Like, okay. his, his view of the world is like a lot of audit is input output analysis. You can train neural networks. You can train computer, like you can train things to analyze invoices, analyze pieces of paper, dump them back, analyze them, put them into spreadsheets and send them to revenue. Like it is an input output vector yeah. that is very easily not, like it is a hard job. Like there's a lot of work to be done, but like you can replace that with a series of algorithms. And he was saying, I was like, so what's going to happen at this big firm? And he was like, oh, well, we're exploring, you know, we have a new drone unit. And I was like, well, what do you mean drone unit? And he goes, so we know that a big, one of our clients is a big oil exploration business. And we know that they spend X million a year 
on surveying for pipelines and trucking routes. So what we do is because we're in that audit business and we understand what they're spending their money on, we then offer them a drone solution that rather than having teams of surveyors go out and survey land for yeah. future pipelines, we offer them a drone service that'll go and do it for them. So they're diversifying what they're doing with new technology and like new ways of thinking about the world. But like, you know, if I told you now is like, you shouldn't qualify as an accountant, you should qualify as a drone pilot. You'd go, it's like, what are you talking about? It's like, you're going to work for the same company in 10 years and that's the qualification they're going to be looking for. And like, I'm not joking, that big firm is hiring drone pilots. And that's, but you know, that's the way the world is going. And you think about it and you, if you think about it for a little while, you realize that it's lo it's logical and it makes sense. Yeah. But at the same time, you're like, how that doesn't feel like that's going to happen. Mm. And we're in this kind of world right now where things will just, things will just change rapidly. So 10, like 10 years ago, the iPhone four came out and now like people don't feel like things have changed that much because we're just at the iPhone 10, but like every part of people's lives have been fundamentally influenced by technology yeah, and how absolutely. we engage with it. And that's why it's something that even if it's not your total focus, just put a little bit of focus into it because it affects everything else. Mm. I I can't help it. Like we probably should, but I just can't help it. I want to get your take on um, uh, on the theory I buy into, mm. and that is that all of this technological progress is natural. It is natural mm. development. It was it's kind of written. It was meant to happen. Mm. And what will happen next is we just keep going. We pass on more and more responsibility over to robots. They we reach that point of. What's it called? Um, the singularity. Singularity. Whoops. Singularity, where robots are, are as intelligent as we are, mm. and then all of a sudden they wipe us out. We become extinct, and it's a planet for robots, and that's the only way that the actual planet itself can survive. Am I crazy? Is everyone else who thinks not that crazy? What, where do you come in on it? Uh, we're we're like so far away from I mean, like the applications of AI are. There's a big difference when people talk about artificial intelligence now. They talk about input-output systems that can be automated. So I dump in a load of receipts and a neural network understands these are receipts, these are numbers, this is how I analyze them based on what previous receipts look like. This is how I feed them into a like, you know, this is how I feed them into my expenses, this is how I put them into our balance sheet, this is how I file the return to revenue. Like, you know, this is, that's what AI is right now. It's, it's systems where there's a lot of variance, but there's a structure to what's happening. When you're looking at like things like what you're talking about is like general AI is like we're so far away from that. Like we're, we're, we're not forever away from that, but things will, like you have to assume that just as when we discover nuclear weapons, when we discover any new really powerful technology that changes the way we think about things, there's always an opportunity that we're going to wipe ourselves out. Yeah. Like we, you know, we've developed like, like we've developed like airborne bird flu because, you know, that's good crack, like to see if we can. And, you know, we just do it because it's there just because we have the ability to do it and the technology exists doesn't mean those things wipe out sure, all of humanity. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's like, it's hard to think like that. Like, People go, it's like, wait, what do you mean? It's like literally a team of scientists in the Netherlands designed, took the bird flu virus and were like, 
let's make this the deadliest virus in the world, make it airborne. And they mutated it to the point that it was. And it's like, okay, cool, we did that. Like the technology exists to, we have existing technology that could wipe us all out. Thinking about technology that doesn't even exist yet and how we might build that, we might have that wipe us out, is I think just, you know, it misses the point around technological advance. Sure. The ability to do, like the ability to, for an outcome doesn't actually create that out, does not force that outcome yeah, to, okay. to occur. Sure. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, going back to um, you. So <laughs> yeah, we've got, yeah, we've got off. No, but topic. normally people take a rant maybe at like twenty minutes or forty minutes in. Oh, so okay. you just did a little bit early, but all good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and that was was good. Coming home from Washington, you come home, you you you're back into college, and you start ideally. And we'll mm. we'll narrow in on the entrepreneurship sort of stuff now. Mm. Um, can you briefly explain what Ideally did and how it went? Yes, so uh, Ideally was a digital student car. It, like basically, it was your student ID on your phone. So I, uh, like series of chance events, I was the entertainments officer in the student's union at the time. Uh, we had a monthly meeting with the provost in Trinity. Like every single month you go in, you have an hour, we talk with the provost about what's going on in this world of students and we leave and we come back. I'm the entertainments officer, so like I have the lowest priority things to say to the province. Like, you know, there's welfare officer, there's education yeah, officer, okay. even comms has more to say. I'm just there. It's like, yep, Trinity Ball, good crack. So, you know, it's it's a kind of funny job to be there. But uh, I, I wrote a blog post about this around like luck being a very determinant factor in like luck having a big determ determination on outcome. Yeah. But, and like I've since kind of thought about it more, is it's luck is important, but it's actually your ability to capitalize on situations that occur that see that will others perceive is luck. So we had this monthly meeting with the provost. I was in, and even I perceived this as luck. We were in the meeting. At the end of the meeting, he goes, hey, we're looking for some strategies to make the campus more digital friendly. Do you have any ideas? And I had tried to go to the library, like, yes, the two days before, but because I'd been the ENS officer for the year, I had not been to the library and I'd lost my student card and I couldn't get in. I was like, this is disaster. You know, you won't let me into the library. Now I have to go pay three euro to get a piece of paper or six euro to go get another card. I'm like, who can be bothered walking across campus yeah. and spending six euro in like classic lazy student kind of view of the world. And I was like, this is a huge problem. People having to walk across campus and pay six euro for a card. This is an outrage. Like, and I'll come around to that point of like thinking about your problems as huge problems. <laughs> yeah. you know, a little bit. But, uh, and I just kind of said, I was like, oh, I'd be great if we could have our student cards on our phones. And the promise was like, great idea, go do that. So I went out, uh, did a survey, like put a survey together put it out there, condensed what I wanted to do and what the project was into two pages. Like, uh, if you if you want, I, I kind of say this now, it's actually, I hate to go back to Amazon as well, but like two pages of text and images of if you want to do something or you have a proposal, is like it shouldn't take more than two pages. Sure. In Amazon, every decision is decided by a six page memo. Mm. So that's maximum six pages. So. Like this is for huge decisions, but everyone goes in, reads the six page memo, talks about it and decides. And that's the decision made. And you, everyone knows the structure. Everyone knows how it's put together. 
so decision making becomes a process rather than something someone else does yeah and i think that's really important that we'll i think we'll come around to decision making as well sure. is uh that like this is like i presented this and it was just concise and promise was like great let's put some money into it let's recruit a team and let's build this so put together a team two really bright computer scientists uh who work basically worked on it put together over the summer and we launched it in I kind of dealt with the admin back office, pulling everything together, the marketing, kind of steering what it was going to be. And then we launched it in September. So it would have been September of my final year in college well, okay. was when we launched it. And I was like, oh, we'll probably do okay. This should go pretty well. And then like in the first three weeks, we had 3,000 downloads because people were just like, this is so convenient. I can now show, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can just walk into the library. I can take out a book. I can do these like. I can do a lot of things and like we had pushback from security we pushed back from the sports center we're like oh this is another thing we have to deal with yeah but again i was kind of in this view that like the student's problem trumps all yeah and at this stage i was applying for jobs in it was kind of like we had about six thousand people using the app by around november of final year and i had started applying for i started applying for jobs so what kind of jobs did you apply for I was, I was applying for like all management consultancy right, kind of okay, gigs. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, i looked at accenture looked at I, I applied for kind of the funny thing was the first de deadline that came up was bcg and i got invited to this like bcg dinner where it was like oh all the kind of cool movers and shakers whatever yeah. go and get taken out for dinner so i was like oh my God, this is like i'll fire off cv and get an interview so i like put a lot of time in the cv put a lot of time in the cover letter and then applied to bcg and then didn't even get a first round interview of like five in five rounds of interview and I was just kind of like, oh, God, this is, it was like that kind of first step in applying for jobs. It's always that first one where you get turned down yeah. and you think that you're going to get, like you think you're at least going to get an interview that you're like, okay, this is a bit shit. Yeah. Like what, okay, what do I do now? So I like decided, and this is like the kind of thing is like when you're applying for jobs and kind of the spirit of grad life is don't decide that you want the job before you before you get the offer mm. like don't get emotionally think, attached think you would like the job but like if you start imagining like it's like oh i'm gonna do this job for two years because i'm gonna be based in london then i'm gonna do an mba and then yeah. i do this and then like it's very easy to it's very easy to think forward and project onto a job onto a job and actually know nothing about the job and the day-to-day mm. -day. and like then when you don't get it it's way you feel way worse sure. than had you just been like, okay, I'm applying for this, I'm applying for that, I'm applying for this, I'll see what happens. And I think that attitude is like, it also like will reduce the volume of applications you put out because it becomes so emotionally draining. Mm. So having an ability to just put in the applications and go from there yeah. is really, really important. Yeah, not like, a great idea. And that kind of led me through. Sorry, I'll accelerate the timelines a bit. Went through the job applications, thought like was like oh i don't know if any of this is for me ended up then one of the professors in trinity was like look you should spin this out as a company we can get you a technology license from the technology transfer office you should recruit a team and go so i went back to the two guys who built it were great guys both of them had already got unbelievable jobs one of them right. in san francisco one in dublin so i was like right i've got to go find more computer scientists and this is like often a problem when people are like, I want to build a tech company. 
is they go, it's like, if only I just had, and like, if only I just had a tech guy. Yeah. And that's, it's, 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 you're not looking for a, you're not looking for a tech guy. You're looking for a, someone who will help you achieve your, like, you're looking for someone who will be on a journey with you for five to 10 years mm. and build a really successful company. And the skill set you need is you need a computer scientist to start building that. Yeah. And that's the most important thing when you're trying to find someone is you have to find someone who you would be comfortable being in the trenches with yeah, sure. for five to 10 years. Because that's, I'm doing an analysis at the moment on like European software companies and the average time to an exit, so like a sale or an IPO or whatever, is over 10 years. So like when you're starting a business, you have to think about, and this was what I didn't think about at the time, was I was like, okay, cool, I have this digital ID. I think it's a big problem for students, but you know, yeah, what well, I'm gonna do this because like it's there and all of the kind of small decisions I've made along the way have led me to this being the this is the option that I'm mm. gonna take. And we got into an accelerator, like found an unbelievable co-founder, a really bright guy, uh, was like so lucky to get introduced to someone who like most of these kind of most computer scientists guys who were bright already have internships jobs. He took a chance on what we were doing. And we just fucking went. Oh, well, that's okay. Yeah, we just uh, <laughs> we just went we just went for it, and we did an accelerator. Went into the year. He had another year of college left. Got a couple of clients. Got a little bit of money coming in the door. Got like raised some investment from Enterprise Ireland. Took fifty grand from them, which was great. Got us to grow out a team to six people, and then I didn't understand how. I understood the product part of it. I still didn't understand the sales. I still didn't understand what problem I was really solving. It's kind of funny since that's where you kind of ended up going into. Mm, yeah. That was your, that became your thing. Yeah, I, yeah exactly. And it's funny, I, I just didn't quite think about the problem. And I think it was the problem for me was I was trying to solve the problem of the student of like not having your ID card and not being able to get access to something and not doing that. And I tried to transpose that problem onto a whole lot of different industries and a whole lot of different verticals. And I didn't think about who, whose problem am I actually solving? And is that person willing to pay for it or someone else willing to pay for it to fund those people, yeah, sure. those people's solution. And it's like always pulling it back to, it's like, I have a good idea. Whose problem does it solve? Who is my, and then there's a, this is a kind of key distinction I learned is who is the user and who is the customer mm. because they're two, they could be the same, but they could be completely different. Sure. And like, even in bigger software now is like the customer for say, like HR software is the head of HR and the CEO, but the user is always going to be the head of HR and their yeah. reports. So you're building a product that they have to love, but they might not decide who actually makes the decision on whether or not they purchase yeah. it or not. So it's, I didn't get that difference. I thought if you built a product for users, the customers would come, but it doesn't work like that. Mm. It has to, you have to think about both sides, both sides of the, of, you have to think about every single piece of what you're trying to do yeah. in detail. Like you can not know things, but you can only not know things for a certain amount. You know, it's like you start up here and you can not know things over time and eventually the things you don't know have to be zero. Well, like they, they basically, as you grow a team out, 
there's loads of stuff you don't know, but there's other people who do fill in those gaps. Yeah. But when you start, you have to start filling in those gaps about your business, sure. being obsessive about what it is you're trying to build, what problem you're trying to solve, and how you can actually go about doing that. Mm. And that led me to running out of money, coming around, doing a bit of consulting, getting a good consulting job, like gig on the side that I could do two days a week with a fintech company called Plank. Right, and okay. Ah, so that whole thing started with... Consult, yeah. Okay, right. So, so it was to get extra money in the door for the company. Basically. So Ideally was still going, but then you kind of lent out your mind to Plink. Yeah, to do okay. their kind of growth marketing and student marketing efforts. Okay. So that was what we looked at there. And then we had six people on the Ideally team. The guys were all wrapping up college. They were all getting ready to kind of start full time for mm. the summer. And I knew we were going to run out of money. I was just like... I, saw, I looked at the cash flow and I was like, I'm not going to be able to pay salaries that month. And unless I start like booking sales and based on the current sales cycle, I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah. And I kind of concocted this harebrained idea to get Plink to buy, like fully buy out my company. And I was like, this is absolutely mad, but you know, maybe someone will go for it. And then we ended up getting to the point where we didn't get like, I was like wild to think we could buy the whole company out. But we cut a deal for the whole team to come on board and get a good kind of package to join the company okay. and sort of wrap everything up really nicely. And that was kind of like our soft landing into Plink. And Plink was a burgeoning uh, payments app. So mm. can we talk about the, uh, the, like, the, the moment where you look at the accounts and you go, oh God, I'm not going to have enough cash to pay salaries. Mm. You were 24, maybe 23, 24. Mm. What's it like having that sort of responsibility on your shoulders at that age? And surely that's a dark moment to realize. Well, like it was, it was more uh, like I was projecting forward. So I knew two, I knew like two and a half months from yeah. this point. I was like, okay, we're, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to, like, I was like, I can pay myself a hundred quid a week. Okay. That's fine. Can I pay? Oh, I can't really avoid that. I can't really avoid that. So it's like, you, I think everyone knew we presented it to everyone who we hired. Everyone knew what they were getting into. Sure. And that's like, you know, you're basically going to work for your, if you're going to work for people your age in a startup, you have to, well, first of all, if you're hiring people to work in your startup, you got to let them know what they're getting themselves into. And you also have to take on that responsibility of if it all goes to, if it all goes to shit, it is people will view it on you no matter what way it goes and like rightly or wrongly that's just the way it runs so you always have to think about the ways in which you can either you can either mitigate the risk to everyone which is what i tried to do by calling it early and bringing everyone into plank or like be willing to really go for it and yeah. like really give it everything you've got. You literally cursed there again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like really, cause like, you know, the risk adjustment on we're either going to play it safe and get a soft exit. And if that's what you want, that that's what you're into. And that's what you want. That's perfectly fine. Or you really go for it. But, and this is like something I learned is if you're going to go down that road, everyone has to be, everyone has to be 100% clear that that's what's happening. Sure. Because that's where, if, you're, if your team and this like runs across anything you could possibly be doing in any job is, 
the more transparent you can be with your team. Like, I don't think the whole, like, everyone doesn't have to know everything. Like, that can cause its problems in itself. Sure. But everyone has to know what's important. Like, and everyone has to know what's got, what, what situ- what's the situation. Yeah. And it's, that's like the kind of key learning I took from everything is you can't, you can, you have to, to, to be in that world, you have to, like the Steve Jobs, I don't know if you've ever heard about the reality distortion, distortion field. field yeah. You have to create a reality distortion field, but like the people inside that field have to know, and you also have to be willing to realize that if you can't maintain outward pressure on that field, which is being successful, like closing sales, building product, that bubble collapses. Sure. So you you always take a risk, but in order to, if you want to be the best in the world or you want to drive something to like go above and beyond, often that's the direction you have to go in. Yeah. So you have to be willing to fly. You have to be willing to fly close to the sun, but I think you have to make sure that the people inside that bubble know that they're inside that bubble. A reality distortion field within that field, say if it's within the company, like you're, mm-hmm. like you're saying, that can be a, a motivator for people. In a way, you kind of want, I guess it, it's almost anti or counter-definitive if they know they're in a distortion field in the first place. Mm-hmm. But that aside, an internal distortion field versus an external distortion field. Because if you've got an external reality distortion field, mm-hmm. you're kind of, it, it's, it's bubbles, it's false advertising mm. words you know it's uh yeah and it's the, misleading and the, yeah this is the point where you can't sell a product that isn't there and this is what you kind of learn from product development is it doesn't matter how much money you spend on marketing it doesn't matter like how much money you spend on sales if the product isn't excellent you can't sell it mm. and that's when you bring in this you know if you're building excellence you can like build like you know you can build a bubble around that of we're the this is the best in the world like if you're not using this service what are you doing yeah and that's the kind of reality distortion field you need is an ability to present something that feels ordinary like a phone and say it's going to change the world yeah and like not every product is like that and you shouldn't do that with every product but it's it's you know it's one of those things where you have to be conscious of it of what's going on because most startups are constantly like you know most most businesses in general there's always something going on below the surface Mm -hmm. that could be better something could be improved like most startups are always chaos like there's just there is no if you look at any successful startup they've just gone like whoa 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 the whole way through their histories And, you know, it's like the whole thing, history is written by the winners, is like at the end of it, everyone ignores all of that because you got to the end mm. and then there's the startup graveyard of people who don't get there. Yeah. And it's just important to know when you go down that road that there is a chance, you're, there's a very high chance you're not going to be a winner. 95%, I think, statistically. Yeah. And like, if you're going to go down that road, you have to believe it's like gambling, you know, you have to be, you have to believe you're going to win, but you also have to be willing to, you have to be prepared to lose. Mm. And like some people, if you're prepared to lose 
I mean, I'm not saying you should like, and this is like some Americans would probably where I'd fall on the wrong side of this is like, no, well, you're obviously not going to lose. So like, why would you ever consider that as an yeah. option? And I think that's just, you know, you, again, it's learn from that opinion and absorb it into how you think about the world and use that to shape the decisions of like shape the way you make decisions. I think once you take on say, um, it's not an American attitude, it's just a, you're using an American as an example. Where they say, why would you even uh, entertain the thought of failure? Mm. You don't want to become reckless either. Mm. Um, you mentioned startup graveyards, ninety-five percent chance of failing, uh, chaos all the way, good or bad. Mm. You talk about not getting paid. Why would someone join a startup? I mean, you know why someone would oh. start a startup because it would mm. be great, it would be a great experience, mm. and then they can get really rich if it works out well, and they're probably passionate about the problem they're solving. Why would someone join a startup? Um, <laughs> Like everything you basically said there can be like if you're you're not getting paid as much if you're in a startup you should 100% especially if you're early stage you should be getting compensated significantly with equity like this there's this is how it operates in the US like small startups will put 10% of their shareholding into an employee share option pool and if people try to say it's like oh we're thinking about that we're doing this it's like if you're going into a startup you need to share in the success of that startup. Sure. So like employee number, say, employee number 100 at Facebook, ha have a guess how much money they made off their shares in the IPO. Uh, I don't know the IPO for overall, but they should have. Like 50, $50 billion. They should have made 10 like million. 100 million. 100 million they made. So to be, if you're in that, and this is like part of the thing of like why those big companies breed lots of smaller companies, is because everyone shares in the success. Sure. Everyone gets to enjoy that. So like part of being in a startup, like you should, I don't think you should join a startup for the financial compensation because again, 95% of startups fail. 95% yeah. of your equity is never, of equity you're ever given is gonna be worth nothing. But you also take on, a like you have to take on that risk adjustment of I get to work, it's flexible, it's chaotic, but chaos is better than boredom, like in so many ways. And you are only in a position to work in a startup for, I, I, I think it's harder the older you get to go into a startup environment. Sure, so you will, if there's only 10 people in the company, if you don't do something, it matters. Like if you don't, if you work in a big corporate, if you don't do your job, it literally does not matter. You like not not to like like but oh God, I actually sound really callous there. But like it doesn't matter. The organization is structured in a way that every day five percent of the org is out sick or yeah. on leave. So the organization is structured to survive without you and mm. it will survive without you. When you're in a startup, like literally everything you do matters. Like every like every blog you write, every customer you talk to, every query you respond to, every line of code you write, every change, every sale you make or don't make, every sale you make or don't make, literally you like it, it's like a living, breathing organism, and you can feel you feel the pain, but you also feel the success. Yeah, sure. And you don't feel that like the bigger the organization you're in, the further away you are from that. Sure. So you don't feel the pain but you also don't feel the like unbelievable we've done yeah. it. And it's that thing of like, if you've ever been on a sports team being on, and this is like coming into another big corporate that's become like Netflix and again, they have wild stuff in their corporate culture that I wouldn't agree with. Yeah, but they do have crazy culture. 
some of it's really good mm. like working with the best like we people love to work with other good people but like they treat netflix as a team where it's like a sports team yeah, they say it's a sports team yeah, yeah if yeah. you're not good you get cut yeah which is like obviously like some people have bad days and on a sports team if you have a bad day you do get cut i don't think that should necessarily be the case in all company in all yeah. businesses but when you're on a sports team you share in the wins and you share in the losses like everyone feel like if you miss the goal you feel bad but like everyone's with you and everyone feels for you mm. and when you win it doesn't matter if you didn't score any goals it doesn't matter if you didn't make any saves you still feel that yeah like, sure joy out of it and i think that's what you get in that startup environment is you're more of a team than you are an organization yeah and you have an ability to shape that team and the experience you'll get in one year at a reasonably fast growing startup will be more than you'll get in three years at a big organization i noticed that talking to people who have been involved in startups and mm. um, they have such ownership over the work they have done mm. more so than a lot of people in large organizations who are put in a corner to do this little thing and sometimes not always but sometimes even unaware of the context within which they're performing their tasks mm. whereas in the startup as you say you're you're at the top i mean if, if it's a 10 person company mm. you're in the top 10 people of the company and you have pure ownership over what you're doing and you know full well the context within which it fits mm. and, and, you, and that impacts your education a lot yeah and you'll steer the direction of it and you'll make decisions that in like may seem small on a day-to-day -day level but they're decisions that have impact and change the way sure. change the you know you move the needle yeah and that's a really satisfying feeling yeah sure. when, when you move the needle for the team because you make a win for everyone mm. and if your company is successful you get to ride that wave and if it's not successful you still get to go out to a big corporate or a big organization and go this is what i learned and as long as you didn't like as long as you don't kind of become crazy and like you can go into startup world and be unhirable ever again because you you love it and you love that passion you have that passion for it but then you just go work for another startup but even if you want to go work for a bigger organization you have a skill set and you have an ownership of your problem and this is we were discussing this before we kind of spoke about it is the very best organizations want to hire people who shit happens to not sorry that make shit happen not the people <laughs> who shit happens to yeah and like is a very and this is like some some organizations will go as far as to tear apart the language you use and the way you answer questions mm. so the difference between a we and an i in an i did or we did we did either implies you're a team player and you're collaborative or you didn't actually do the thing and you're using we as a way to cover up so you're trying to say something that it's like, oh, we, you know, we brought, say you're working in a huge organization. Oh, uh, tell me about a time you, uh, tell me about a time you succeeded in work. I was like, well, uh, in work last quarter, uh, we brought across a big client over the line and we ran a big campaign with them and it was really successful. And I'm like, but wait, hold on. What did you do? And it's like, yeah. oh, okay, well within that i did you know within that i did this and you're not talking about like what did you make happen what part of that would not have happened had you not been there and mm. what did you do to make it better than it possibly could have been had anyone else been involved in that role and it's always the way you should think about i think well 
this is the way I, I think about things when I'm, if I'm doing an interview or if I'm having a conversation with someone is if you're a person who makes things happen, people want to gravitate towards you and they want to be around you and they look to you for, they'll look to you for like some kind of element of leadership because right or wrong, people who make things happen, make, like make the world go forward. Sure. While if you're someone who things happen to, you, you don't move, you know, it's again, it's that talk of like moving the needle is if things happen to you, it's like, oh, but then this happened. And, you know, and then I had this really bad day and then this kind of happened yeah. and it's like, well, like what, you know, these things, like the world will keep turning no matter what you do. So things will always happen to you and that you just become someone who like, this is the way it is. While people who go out and actually change things and make things happen and move the needle in a way that another person in the same world wouldn't have. Those are the kind of those are the people who get hired into the very best jobs and in the very coolest organizations. And you, yeah, you get into like cool jobs where they're given responsibility because they have shown that they take responsibility and mm. that they go with it and they don't shun it or they don't shy away from it. Mm. And so, absolutely, kind of think about if you're looking for something in a role, prove in your own life or in your own background or in college or whatever it might be that you you already. Uh, demonstrate those qualities mm. you mentioned something funny there that people in startups go, off, go crazy and they become unhirable mm. and if you're going to take a bet on something where again to, to throw these words back at you they're talking about 95 percent failure and you don't get paid and you're in a graveyard etc there's already a little bit of crazy there or at mm. least a, a, a strong bias towards risk what kind of crazy can you describe the flavor of crazy that people can go within this startup world so like some, and this kind of leads me into the job I recently started in, a, I'm, work, I'm working in a venture capital firm now where we invest in companies who like, you kind of like, you know, if you like to go out and invest in early stage startups, if you take the statistics, 95% of them fail. Of course, we don't invest in 100%, like we don't invest in every company. Sure. So we're already slimming that down mm. to like, the section of companies that we think are going to be successful but like there are certain vcs who like they look for particularly in the us like some of the founders that you see getting funded are like just mad like guys who live in like so i don't know if you've heard of soylent no so like soylent was a guy who was working on i think he was working on a social network or something in san francisco had no money and basically was like this is how much food is costing me a week surely I can just make a gray goo with all of the protein and vitamins and minerals and everything that I need for like a fraction of the price of this and that'll be grand and I'll just do that. So he experimented and they basically made this goo that he could drink three times a day that gave him all of the nutritional value that he needed to get him through the day and keep himself on a kind of high energy buzz on a really low price. And this company was called Soylent and they're still doing really well. And the guy who runs it lives in like a container on the, like the, there's a really good, if you're the, the financial times the weekend do a really good, like lunch, it's also, it's called lunch with the FT. Right. And they basically sit down and have like a casual lunch where they discuss a bunch of things with kind of an interesting person. And the series, the interview with him is just bonkers. Cause like the guy literally wants to get everyone to just drink gray goo. Like, he wants it to go from like... That's his vision. His vision is, why would you spend money on groceries? You should just drink this grey goo when you're hungry and then go out for really nice meals when you want to eat something nice. Right. And like, even within that, you know, this person believes that 
everyone on the planet will eventually do this. Yeah. Like, just like, you know, Brian Chetsky and the Airbnb team were like, of course people will rent out their spare rooms to strangers for money. Mm. And everyone who they were talking to was like, you are completely insane. Mm. Nobody will do that. Like, you know, it's always kind of the same way with Uber. Like, why would I get into the back of a car with a stranger? Yeah. It's like Facebook. Why would people upload all of their personal data to a, like, which obviously now we're seeing the ramifications well, of. I think Mark Zuckerberg will actually text it at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, why are people doing this? And you, you have to kind of think about like, there's something about crazy and seeing things differently that if you meet someone who thinks about the world differently to everyone else, that's someone who you should keep an eye on. Yeah. Because those are the people who recognize, you know, it's like flaw, not like flaws in the system or opening. Like if you see the world the same way everyone else does, all you can do is if you're really smart, you'll improve, you'll like add a notch onto the way the world works. Yeah. If you want to like, I can like give it a big bump and add something completely new to the world. You have to think about things differently, but on the flip side of that, you also have to execute better than anyone else. Yeah. Because nowadays, as soon as you start doing something, unless there's like really deep intellectual property, unless you can think of some way to defend your idea, there is someone out there's the access to information, the access to infrastructure, the access to capital, like everything is doable now. Mm. It's just the will, the speed, the execution and the insight that makes it possible. Yeah, the execution is, is, is absolutely key in that. Mm. Who should join a startup and who shouldn't? Uh, this is like, it, and it, like, it, it depends, but like, do you, would you, would you follow that person to the end? Would you, whoever the CEO is, whoever the co-founders are, would you follow those people to the end of the earth? Do you believe that what they're doing, do you believe that what they're doing is something that will change the world? Do you believe that something they're doing, are you passionate about what that startup does? If those answers are yes, 100% go work for that startup. Mm. If you want to go work for a startup because you want to go work for a startup, you know, it's, it's like, I want to go, you know, you know, it's, it, it just doesn't work because you have to believe in what the company's doing. If you want to work, if, if you try to work for a startup because you want to work for a startup, that startup probably won't take you because oh. they want someone who buys into the mission more than anything else, mm. you know? Oh yeah. And you want someone who's there from day one. Well, like, and you know, this is the thing. If you want to just go work for a startup because you want to go work for a startup, you can certainly just go work for startups because like startups are often, if you're talented, you, I can, guess, yeah, you can get those sort of jobs. Like, you know, the really spotting the next big thing is hard. And the next big thing often doesn't even know it's the next big mm. thing. Like most people don't know they're the next big thing until they are. Yeah. So like figuring that out, like everything could be, everything could be a failure, but everything could be the next. Sure. Things could be great. And it's up to you to figure out, or do, are you willing to make the commitment? So if you, if you're in finally, or just starting finally or next year, and you're thinking about where you want to go get a job, are you willing to commit the, it's much easier to see the job postings and availability in uh, slightly later stage startups. So like, if you don't have a high risk tolerance, finding a company that's got like 
40 to 40 to 80 employees is a great place to get into because you get some of the feel of a startup with a lot less of the risk. Yeah, sure. If you want to get into somewhere that's a little bit risky and a little bit exciting, 20 to 40 employees, it's still the case of everything you do makes it, it moves the needle, but you have a little bit more stability. Things are a little bit more on the safe track. Uh, zero to 20 employees is where it's like you are rolling the dice, yeah. but also the opportunities for success and for good outcomes are the biggest. And the emotional roller, the, the stimulation that mm. goes with that as well every day, not knowing if you're going to have a job the next day or whatever it might mm. be. Yeah. Um, there's a lot there. And I think that's like, that's what I would, if, if I was looking for, if you want to work for a startup, you don't have to see the perfect startup and go for it. Yeah. But if you decide now, I would like to go work for a startup, put the time in, like subscribe to Startup Diet, like uh, I think it's Dublin Globe is like one of the really good newsletters. Dogpatch Labs have a really good newsletter. Uh, Enterprise Ireland have a good newsletter. Dublin Bic have a good newsletter. Uh, Frontline Ventures have a good newsletter. Like there's a lot of places I could keep going for days. Like, yeah, but yeah. they'll they'll get you started and, and yeah, like take it from there. Take, you take it from there and you keep an eye out for and go to there's a there's a good kind of grass sort of a grad fair for startup jobs called Upstarter. That's also good. You can kind of slightly later stage startups. Yeah, but other than that, it's like volunteering at. Uh, I'm not sure if they're doing volunteering at Money Comp this year. But like volunteering at Web Summit, talking to all the startups. Like, if you want to find these good companies, you have to put in effort. Sure. And other because it's really it's a lot easier to get a job at a big corporate. Yeah. Because they spend all this money to get you to come work for them, mm. and they want you to come work for them, and they're willing to put in the time and the effort to make sure you know about those jobs. But and the like, and this is the thing: those jobs, there's those jobs are really. Are, like if you make the most of them, they're such a good option. So many of the world's best CEOs started off in big corporates and worked their way up. Sure, but it's but this is and this is the way to think about the world is if you think about that as a path, do you think that path will still be the same in ten years, in twenty years? Yeah, and I could be completely wrong, but I think to, in order to prepare yourself for the way the world is going to change in a lot of ways. You have to get yourself some exposure to technology and some exposure to startups and some exposure to a rapidly changing environment around you because one day your world will rapidly change. Yeah. And if you're not prepared for that, you it it will it will come as a shock. And that's that's just something that a lot of people like you don't want to when things flip on their head for to be the one person who's not prepared. Yeah. And I think that's something you can kind of take out of, you do get out of startups. It sounds so ominous. One day the world, your world will rapidly change. But um, speaking of ominousness, mm. what was the lowest moment in your in your startup career to date? Um, like emotionally, not, not not say statistically you're talking about numbers or anything, but just like, surely there's, there's bad uh, moments along the journey. Oh yeah, there's like definitely not good time. Like, uh, like, uh, I don't know if there's necessarily like there's it's it's such a journey it's such an up and down like roads where there's like really good times there's like really grim times there's like I remember there was like 
there was there was like one time in when I was working on Ideally that I just like uh, my, my my sister was going to the Olympics in Rio and it was like June and I had just convinced myself in my head that I was too busy with work and I could not go to the like I just couldn't take the time off and like you know your sister's going to the Olympics she's like, sailing right yeah yeah, yeah. And you're like you know like I said this to my mom and dad and they were just like what's going on with him like this is so weird yeah and then you know I just had that kind of moment of realization one day where I was like what am I reality, like, so, reality distortion yeah so but I, and I had what I had like taken upon myself is I had read online that if you're not killing it every day and you're not giving it 110 percent you're not going to succeed and you're not going to win so rather than reading that taking the context of it pulling it into my own understanding and my own like decision making process I just took that and I was like okay that's that's that yeah this is the way I should think about I've things. fallen into that trap as well and you're just like okay well if they said it and this is I can't remember who it was some some like well known yeah yeah like startup kind of person or whatever like the fact that I can't remember is just ridiculous I was making life decisions but those based on their yeah. but like I just had this moment of realization when I was like oh my god what am I actually doing here why am I not what like you know life comes in life presents opportunities to you and often like it's about you know it's as much about the opportunities you don't take as the opportunities that you do take and like opportunities don't always have to be professional like they can be about like life experience they yeah. can be about like family experience things like that and i think that like moment of realization when i was just like oh my god what am i doing this is just garbage yeah that's when you have one of those moments when you be like you're you have the, the your decisions have to be because of the way you think about the world yeah not the way someone else does because otherwise you will always regret them and you will just like kill yourself over them as well yeah here's like a, a mode of thinking but applied perfectly to that example you probably hear a quote from someone and for some reason gary v comes to mind but he's actually quite on board of the whole relaxed thing as well but the idea of if you're going to be a leader if you're going to be the top of the world you got to be working when you're sleeping or something so shit. yeah yeah i can um, see gary v saying that. yeah yeah, yeah. And the reality is, much more uh, sensible than that is, if you're going to be a leader, if you're going to be on top of the world, you have to make your own decisions. And you have to realize what it, what matters to you and, and how you can manage to work out multiple things. And I think that's a much more profound and sensible message to give to people rather than when you're sleeping, you're working, or some sort of crap, like, you know, it's actually exhausting to be entertained. Um, did you end up going to the Olympics? Oh yeah, no, I went to the Olympics. And break, right? in the medium term thereafter, was the business okay? Oh yeah, like literally makes no. Made, I'm gonna swear again. Anyway, it made absolutely <laughs> no difference. Yeah. Whether or not I was in Ireland for. Eight and days. had you gone? So that's run version B. Had you gone and you uh, missed the Olympics and you stayed for work? Or had sorry, did you not gone? Missed the Olympics, stayed for work. You probably would have hated the work a little bit more. <laughs> Because you had missed out on the Olympics, for oh, which wouldn't. in the medium term to long term would have been worse for the business. Oh, was that was complete rubbish. Like that would not, like it would not have been good. And like, I think you think when you're working on something that like it's all like you are the thing that's going to make this happen. Yeah. And then you forget that like again, this the whole thing about the world keeps turning. Like 
the world turns whether you're working on your business or not mm. and the world does not care that you're working on your business yeah. like this is like august in ireland like you know just that like if you're trying to do anything in business during the summer particularly august in ireland nothing happens mm. everyone's away everyone's taking their holidays people with kids are all getting off before they're back to school like it just you know it's one of these kind of things that but i was like but what if i miss x and you can't ever be thinking about like if you think about what am i going to miss if i do this or like you just will never do anything mm. because you'll be like well i always there's always an opportunity cost to doing anything but it's thinking about like if i don't do that what am i actually what am i gaining yeah what are the things that is there a conference is there a meeting is there a call is there a person and if i'm going to do something else and i still feel there's an opportunity cost balance against the decision i want to make then figure out a way to balance that out figure mm -hmm. out a way to get a meeting where you're going figure out a way to be on the phone figure out a way to bring your laptop and do extra work because there's always a way of and like, no, there's not always a way of doing what you want to do but there's always a way of balancing out yeah the things that you want to do versus the things that you need to do for like a business like whether it's business or professional or anything yeah, like that I, I agree you can't always get the optimal but it's rarely as black and white as you as you first assume it. as you and that's always the way i think people yeah. because black and white is so easy yeah exactly it's just like i can't do this or i can't do that totally i really and just on that note of like the, the idea of doing hours in a startup and having to work extremely hard and that sort of thing has that been your your experience some people think oh startup you get to work for yourself it's great but realistically the pressure and these sorts of things definitely are outweighed like i won't say you're not going to have to like you what you are going to have if you want to be the if you want to have the level of success that you need to say be a venture back business so you your company is going to be sold for north of 100 million euro mm. like you either have to be you have to work hard or you have to work really smart because there's no you know there's no two ways about it like you just cannot have that level of success yeah it with, work. without working hard and without putting that effort in but like i know people who that run really successful businesses who balance out their lives but like they use virtual, like their virtual assistants from Upwork, who basically take care of all their life admin. Right. So they just go. It's like you know, you get someone on Upwork for like ten bucks an hour to basically just go, hey, can you sort my? I'm trying to think of like a good example of this now. Pick up the kids from school or something. Oh no, well, well, well maybe not pick up the kids from school. <laughs> but like you know, something like you know, like life admin, where you're like, oh my god, I have to apply for a passport. Oh, I have to apply for a new driver's license. Like this is a this guy really interesting guy from the us is like oh i don't do any of my life admin i go on upward i put up the job spec and i get someone who's a trusted va and now i have a couple of virtual assistants who whenever i have something like that to do i pass it on to them and it costs me 10 bucks an hour and i get it done i was like what does that do and he goes well basically it means like so like every year i worked out i have like 80 hours of like life admin right and things that kind of pop in it's like, wouldn't I much prefer to like outsource those two weeks for eight hundred dollars yeah, yeah. and get those eighty hours That's back amazing. for yeah. me and distribute them out across my years? So I'm working the same amount. I'm work, like I'm working just as hard as the next guy, and I'm getting just as much done. But I also have this two week block 
that I get for 800 bucks. Yeah. And he's like, of course. That is do. amazing. And like, you know, it's, it's thinking about, it's thinking about the ways that you can work like that, that you're just like, how can I, how can I better optimize my, I'm like, don't be, don't be crazy about it. Like, you don't have to yeah. be like OCD, but they're just like, think about your day. It's like thinking about what you do and how you go about your life and how you go about your day. And what are the things that you could save time on or you could cut down on through a routine or mm. through some sort of cost saving? Like most people can't afford Like the virtual assistant example is ridiculous because he's running a big, like multi-million dollar business. So that makes sense. Yeah, so he's a 1%. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense for him. But like in anyone's kind of day-to-day is like, yeah, you can think, rearrange things. You, you can rearrange things. You can think about the things that you do. And if you feel like you don't have enough time for socializing, you feel like you don't have enough time for sport, you feel like you don't have enough time for activity, just think about the things that you can save. Think about the things you're willing to give up and then think about the things you're willing to save time yeah. on so that you can get more time in your day yeah. for the things that really matter to you. Agreed. And not picking up the kids. Because yeah, I just yeah. realized that like a stranger would come along. And yeah, yeah, just pick, pick them, them up, up wherever you go. <laughs> that wouldn't be good. Not, not ideal. Oh, but. God. Sorry. Laughing fit in the middle of a podcast. Not cool. Um, okay. Jump into the uh, quick fire round. Oh, then. Yeah, the quick fire round. I still do right, need to me laugh me that off. It takes me a while to laugh things off. Um, a book recommendation for uh, a book recommendation for people out there. Um, oh, what's, I'm, 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 I'll get you started. You mentioned Zero to One earlier. Great book by Peter Thiel about startups. Yeah, it's um, about, sorry, it's uh, some bonkers stuff in there. But mm. he does ask, like, he has this question, and it's that a lot of job, like, job interviews. WIP actually asked this in their job interview. In not the job interview, in the interview for the program where they have, do you have any crazy opinions that no one else has? Mm. And most people, the problem with the answer they give is they say something like, uh, I think we should pay fees for university or I'm like, whatever, I'm, I'm pro-life or I'm pro-choice. And like, because it's a controversial opinion, but it's a controversial opinion that's held by lots of people. It's not, yeah, a, unique, sure. it's not a unique opinion. What was your answer? Uh, oh, I, I said uh, I wanted the Irish government to commit more funding to the European Space Agency because I would like to be an astronaut one day. Is that actually true or did you just I try was, to be I, crazy? Uh, I initially, I was just like, what's a bit bonkers here? And I was like, you know, if this doesn't work out, I suppose I could still be an astronaut, but the Irish government need to trump up the change. Yeah. And enough. like that, you know, it's like something like that, like, you know, you can have loads of stuff, like, I think there should be no retirement. Like, people, like, I've met a few people who are like, there should be no retirement age. Like, I, you know, it's like, like, you don't have, and this is like, don't, it's not coming up with an opinion that only you have. It's, again, thinking about all of your opinions and going, do I have any unique outlook on the world that no one else has? I have one. I believe no. that when I drink spirulina, my hair grows as I drink it. Is that that's, just me? Uh, I'm an idiot or is that just doesn't count? I don't know if that counts. Uh, <laughs> right. I mean, like, if you give that answer to Peter Thiel, that's, uh, yeah. yeah, you run with that one. But it's, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's a funny one where if you think about that question, it actually forces you to think about what, what, like, what do you think about? What's important? Like, what do you, do you have any unique opinions or are all your opinions informed by the group around you? Yeah, sure, yeah. And like, it's totally fine to not have any unique opinions. Like, it is a bit bonk. Like, you don't have to be a bit weird to think about something completely differently. Yeah. But 
He's looking for original thinking. Yeah, it's you, to think about something in a kind of original way is important. It's important to ask yourself, do you? And if you don't ask yourself, are you happy? Like, does that make any difference yeah, to you? Because sure. for most people, it makes no odds in the yeah. day whether or not they're original, like whether or not they have that kind of thought. Yeah. Uh, in terms of book recommendations, as another first, we were talking about startups for so long. It's a really good book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things oh, by yeah. a guy called Ben Horowitz, who's yeah, yeah. uh, one of the founding partners at a really big venture capital firm, Andreessen Horowitz, and it's basically stepping you through. Yeah, it's very, very practical. It's very practical, and it talks about, you know, it, it really in graphic detail talks about the good times and the bad yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, and the effects on his family of doing a startup it, and that sort of thing. Exactly, well. and the chance opportunities taken and the chance opportunities missed and things along the way. So yeah. if you want to kind of get a better feel for what happens when you go on the journey and come out with a billion-dollar exit, but, you know, the funny thing is you read that, if you just knew it's like, oh, Opsware, billion dollars, Ben Horowitz, what mm. a great, you know, obviously a great time. You read the book and you go, oh, my God, to get to yeah, a billion dollars. And that's the insight into start the world of startups is like the hard thing. It's like obviously it's in the title is there is no easy way. Yeah. It is hard, and that's just the way it is. Yeah. For no company has it easy. What's a change you wish to see in the world? Uh, what's a change I wish to see in the world? Um, I'd like to ban all plastic packaging. This is like partially my sister's doing a race with a book called Turn the Tide on Plastic. Right. And they're seeing like, it's it's just one of those things where we don't need, like, I use too much plastic packaging. Everyone uses too much plastic packaging. And the problem with it is, is there's no, and this is like not a problem, but it's not a, there's no real technology solution. Like people are trying to come up with a way of like, and this is like often a problem is the only way to solve the problem is probably with technology where we develop fully biodegradable plastics and all plastics are converted to that but we're not going to get to that level of technology and all of these production lines the easier way the easier and faster way is to just stop using plastic change behavior but uh, changing behavior and this is like proven in a whole load of studies is people do not change behavior right it's easier it's always easier always cheaper to either change the system, so like charge more, or bring in a new technology that actually changes. It's like uh, this is this is a bit of a sidebar, but uh, the more you know, like say you're on the M50 and you think the traffic's really bad, you know, like they should definitely add another lane to this. Uh, that it actually makes no difference. The more lanes you add on a motorway, the more people decide to drive. And the more traffic that will be there, there's an equilibrium around roads. If you're doing like this, is like my engineering. We did like transportation engineering, traffic design. Is like you. There's an equilibrium that all roads reach. Where if it's if there's more lanes, the car will be faster, and therefore you won't take the bus. Therefore you won't take the bike. So like on aggregate, yeah. humans are extremely predictable. That's mad. And you, unless you change the system where you tax the car more or you ban the car, or like in London, congestion charges work really yeah. well, because they charge people, is changing behavior has to be enforced. Sure. It will never happen. Yeah, either. it doesn't happen voluntarily. Yeah, which Fair is... Um, a quote to live by. Um, oh man, a quote to live by. Um, I actually, I'm not big on quotes. That's fair enough. Yeah. We, we have to be really quick now, so that's yeah, fine. Yeah. 
Um, a person you know that's inspired you? A uh, person I know that's inspired me, I'll go with uh, my sister. Quick reason why? Because uh, she works harder than anyone else I know. Respect. A uh, person you don't know that's inspired you? A uh, person I don't know that's inspired me. Um, da, 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 da. There's a, I, I think Patrick Collison, the Stripe CEO, is incredibly interesting. I watched a video with him and it just had the leadership written all over. He was amazing. Yeah, he's like the kind of, he can, I, I was uh, talking to a guy who's interviewed him before and just said the, he was talking about like the rate that he consumes information and processes it is like nothing he's ever seen before. Like right. the guy just powers through books yeah. and takes in all that information and builds it into who he is as a person. Yeah. But he's really inspiring. I think what he's done with Stripe and just what like the company they've built and the culture around it, I think is really inspiring. Yeah, really it's unreal. It's incredible. They're the Collison Brothers and Stripe is the payments app. One of the biggest one of the biggest payments apps in the world now. And um, they're both in Limerick, really, really cool. And the youngest build, the younger ones, the youngest billionaire in the world. Yeah, self -made, self -made. Yeah. yeah. Um, last one then, a life lesson you've learned since college. Uh, since college. Yeah. Or in general. Um, if you're going to, if you're going to make a decision, make sure you're making that decision because of you, because of reasons relevant to you, not to someone else. Nice. Like, Okay, jeez, that's a good note to end on. Mm. Well, Finn, thanks, man. Pleasure having you on. Listen, Great point. Absolute pleasure, man. Grand life. Uh, yeah, grand life. Respect and shout out. <laughs>